you're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. I am really looking forward to sharing this uh, topic. This topic is based on a question that came up from a buddy of mine throughout the What's With the Age of the Earth series. Now, this buddy of mine, he is super, like, philosophically astute. He's a listener to the podcast. Shout out, Stephen. And he, I really appreciate him and his approach and his, his, just his approach to life is, is really great in numerous areas. But I love the, he asked this question not only with philosophical rigor in mind, but he asked this question for the perspective of like, you know, one day I'm going to have to teach my kid about this stuff. And, and I totally feel that. I've got four of my own and it's, there are so many things where it, it is hard for us to plant a flag on, you know, biblically speaking. Now there are other things that's it's very easy, biblically speaking, to plant a flag on and to, to teach. But admittedly, creation is just one of those topics and it can be difficult. There are so many different opinions on this within the church. You don't want to steer your kids wrong, right? You want to make sure that you're teaching them the right stuff. You want to make sure that you're giving them the best information based on what you have to work with as possible. I'll tell you, it really does make a big difference. And it is something that you should be striving to figure out, both for to satisfy your own philosophical curiosities and also those, those more practical concerns of how do you teach your children? So I admire the place this question is coming from. Now, the question that he's asking here to, to finish my ramp and my ramble here is what is the best case? for old age creationism. So we talked a lot about why young age creationism is true. We talked a lot about the alternatives, especially in the earlier episodes. We talked a lot about the alternatives to young age creationism and what I thought some of the problems with them were. And, uh, and he totally respected that. I was like, but if we were to like, you know, surely there's a way we could get around some of these assumptions that are being made. And, and like, how can we steal man instead of straw man? How can we steal man, which is to strengthen somebody else's view? The old age creationist case to the extent possible in order to make sure that we're not just attacking the low hanging fruit. Essentially, what he asked me was if if I were going to take an old age creationist position, how would I argue for it? And so I answered him in three different categories. And so I'm going to try not to read word for word, but I'm basically going to give you the answers that I gave to him. I thought through them and I, I thought that this would be a helpful thing for you to think about. Now, one thing I want to caveat is that I, I think there are responses to many of these things I'm going to raise. And I think this podcast might get pretty long if I try to go through and, and raise all of the young earth creationist or young age creationist responses to all of the things that I'm trying to say, right? Ultimately, you know, you're going to have multiple views on the table. You're always going to have people on either sides of the debate. And so what you have to decide is which view is more compelling um, to you based on the arguments that are presented. Even though I can argue against many of the points I'm going to share with you today, I still think there is strength in acknowledging the points, right? 
there is strength in thinking, okay, these are points that are scored for the other team. We can answer them, but somebody may decide that our answer is not satisfactory. Now, I do believe the answers are satisfactory, but some may not. So I I just want to sort of put all my cards out on the table as I present what I might, how I might approach an old age creationist case. Okay. So I want to start out biblically. Biblically speaking, if I were just, I don't know, somehow appalled by the young age position and I was looking for a way, okay, to figure out how I can consistently make the facts of science and the facts of the Bible agree, okay, I would probably take a no age position and I'd use two primary moves to get there, okay? The first is that there's really just no way to arrive at the conclusion that the Bible teaches that the earth is old, okay? In terms of what they mean by old being 4.5 billion years, okay? There's no way, let me repeat that again, there's just no way to arrive at the conclusion that the Bible teaches that the earth is that old. And I have to give credence to an acquaintance of mine named Doug Harold. Doug and his wife, Lindsay, are very smart people, fantastic people. They love the Bible. They are, one is an engineer. I think Doug is an engineer. I think uh, Lindsay is a biologist. And they just have great thoughts across the board on, on science and the Bible. And this is one of the facts that he's pointed out to me before, that the Bible really doesn't teach that the earth is that old. So if anything, the face value reading, and this is agreed on by most old age scholars, by the way, is that young age creationism is true. And that nuance and technicality must be introduced in order to avoid that conclusion. Okay, so right to the face value reading, and this is by for thousands of years, the church has held this young age creationist position, even if it's not formulated or wasn't formulated back then the way that it's formulated now. The reality is that the face value reading sort of evinces that view. And then you have to introduce other forms of of nuance and technicality in order to avoid that. And so one of those nuance and technicalities that, that would be introduced is the idea that the Bible just doesn't teach an age for the earth at all, okay? And so the second move would be this. An arguable case could be made that the Bible teaches no age for the earth. Now, how would we get there, okay? So you could appeal to the days of creation as being merely analogy. And the reason why you could do this is that it's it's sort of hard to to like prove that they did not take the days as analogous. Okay. Though it's not impossible. But I think the people who argue that the days of Genesis are analogous are on stronger footing than those like Hugh Ross say who take them to be epochs of time or or something like that. It's more likely, I think, that they are just being used as an analogy between God's work week and our work week and things like that. Yeah, then to say that they represent some actual physical unit of time that goes beyond a solar day. They either are solar days or they were being thought of as solar days, even if not taken literally. I think one of those two is true. And again, even though I could respond to that from a young age creationist position, I do think it's a strong argument um, that those days could have been seen as something analogous. Again, I'll just repeat myself. I think that's more likely than saying that they are actually mean a, a definite period of time, literally, 
that is not a day. That's the sort of move that Hugh Ross and other old age creationists are going to take. And I don't think that's true. A side note on that, old age creationists often appeal to, to I forget the verse, the, the reference, but there are references that talk about, they use the word ancient as it relates to past events. And the reality is, is that word doesn't communicate anything meaningful, again, about a definite period of time. In the context that some of these were written, the earth had been around for thousands of years already, and that can be seen as ancient with no problem. Nobody's talking about millions or billions of years. There's no evidence that it would have meant that to these people. So that's one. We can appeal to the days of creation as being merely an analogy. Okay, the second thing is that we could appeal to the flood as being local. Again, go through the podcast we recorded on the series, What's With the Age of the Earth. We do talk about the flood. The flood is something that creationists deal with and talk about a lot because of how important it is to the reality of Earth history. Okay, Catastrophism in general versus uniformitarianism in general is, is scientifically much of where the debate lies. And it's interesting that there is a biblical event with lots of evidence for it that would help help out scientifically our case to be able to arrive for the age of the earth that we do. So if you have a global flood, it's really, really hard to get somewhere with a old earth theory. There's actually a secular scientist. I think he's secular. I don't know. He's, he definitely doesn't like advertised as being Christian. I believe his name is Randall Carlson, and he's been on Joe Rogan quite a few times, and he talks about a flood theory, you know, about significant resurfacing of the earth that has happened multiple times, but he, of course, believes in old ages, etc. So I'm not sure how his work would apply to that contention, but I, I think it's still true that it would be really difficult to prove something like a global flood, the nature of which Genesis talks about, and an old age, because you can either have the the geological implications of, of events that would allow you to radiometric date and using uniformitarian assumptions give you that old age, or if they are of more recent formation, then you can't trust those radiometric dating assumptions, and it would render the old age view of this impossible, all right? So you can either have a global flood or an old earth. You cannot have both. And with that in mind, I would have to argue on the basis for a local flood being the case biblically. And again, I have my responses to how I would go about that. The way that I would probably argue the local flood view is to make the case that in the surrounding chapter you have the table of nations, and of course we go to the, the Tower of Babel and those things. And when you look at those, there are only the known nations at the time mentioned, right? There's nothing about the Western Hemisphere mentioned, etc. So you could at least make a case that could be argued that the writer doesn't have the entire planet in mind. He has only that which he can see. And... Yeah, again, I, I've responded. I've responded to some of these exact contentions in past episodes of this podcast and other ones that I've been interviewed on. So I know how I would respond, but I'm just saying I think that's at least the best case biblically that somebody could make. I think they can. I think they can make that case and argue it. So you could, again, based on the table of nations being limited, you could argue a local flood based on that it's difficult to prove whether somebody was looking at something and taking it literally or. Analogously, I think a case could be made that the biblical days are 
analogous. And so therefore, that's how I would arrive at a biblically at the best case for old age creationism. Now, let's move on to the science. Scientifically, I would point to two things. First is the efficacy or the seeming confirmation of radiometric dating methods by appeal to the isochron method. All right, now I'm not going to pretend <laughs> to to be all up in the science of, of what the isochron method does, how it works, and everything like that. But to, to give you the a, a very lay high overview of it, basically there are three like core assumptions that those who do radiometric dating make, okay? Those are, number one, that there was no daughter Adam at all present, no daughter isotope or whatever present at the time of the formation of the parent, okay? That's number one. The second assumption is that there was no contamination over time of the daughter element bleeding in to the parent elements. There was no contamination. It was a very linear progression from the decay from the parent to the daughter. And then the final one is that the rate of decay has remained constant over time. Now, the isochron method potentially undermines young earth creationist qualms with two out of three of those concerns. And it's the first two that I mentioned. Supposedly, the isochron method can give us a pretty, uh, a pretty solid case that there was no daughter or whether or not there was daughter element present with the parent element at the beginning of that rock's formation. And it can also let us know whether or not there was any contamination over time. Now, it does not, however, at least the way I understand it, and I am open to correction if I am wrong, but I don't think I am. It does not do anything to touch, though, the rate of decay. I don't think the isochron method can do anything to prove whether or not the rate of decay was constant. And this is the area on which most creationists have planted their flag because there are elements and rocks that seem to suggest lots of decay, but in a short period of time. It's like lots of radiometric decay happened. Yeah, we can see the evidence for that, but because of the polonium halos and other things, it looks as though that decay happened over a very rapid period of time. And in order to have that, you would have to have a, a, a catastrophic event exactly like the flood. I've even heard Dr. Kurt Wise say, and not all creationists believe this, but I've even heard Dr. Kurt Wise say that, the, that this means that God could have changed the laws of physics on us, okay? And, and many, many are hesitant, many old age creationists are hesitant to go there because it, it in their mind, it opens us up to, I'm not going to get all into the philosophy stuff here, but it opens us up to something called last Thursdayism, right? Like, how do you know the world wasn't created last Thursday? That that sort of thing. It's one of those things that, that it does, takes faith. What more can I say? Okay. So nevertheless, science, so what I would do scientifically in that piece of it, I would say the isochron method proves that those two, those first two assumptions, like we can know them with without any reasonable doubt of whether this parent was formed without any daughter element present and whether there was any contamination over time. We can know that. And then for the final one to be true, we have no example, right? I would say we've tried to, to do this in the lab and it's extremely difficult, right, to, to be able to do anything with the rate of decay. It would require God changing the laws of physics. And I just don't think he did that. I don't think the Bible says he did that, et cetera. 
and there we go. So that would be the scientific argument that I would that I would make, or at least the first piece of it. The second piece of it is I would point to something called consilience. Okay, consilience is the fact that many lines of evidence across a broad range of scientific disciplines seem to converge upon the same conclusion. And in fact, Dr. Todd Wood has pointed out that consilience itself can actually be pointed to as a separate piece of evidence, right? So, so consilience is the convergence of all these pieces of evidence, but then the fact that there is the consilience is itself an additional piece of evidence. Now, briefly, again, I think a creationist could appeal to uh, the same uniformitarian assumptions being used across these disciplines as a reason not to trust it. But nevertheless, at face value, the fact that across the sciences, information can be uh, consistently interpreted to a similar deep time conclusion is a consideration that we shouldn't ignore and we shouldn't take it lightly. So to summarize so far, biblically, I would say the Bible just doesn't really teach an age for the earth at all. We're open to, to follow the science, so to speak, wherever it leads. And the basis for that being that the days of Genesis are no, no worry for us and that the flood was probably local because of the table of nations. And of course, I would point to the fact that I, I wish I could say, maybe in this case, I wish I could say that the Bible taught an old earth, but it doesn't seem that it does. So the best I can get is a no age view. And then again, scientifically, I would say radiometric dating methods have been shown to be accurate for using the isochron method for the first two of those important assumptions. The third assumption just requires too much. It requires God to change the laws of physics. Don't see any evidence for that having happened in the real world. And I, th I think that we have a good scientific case. And then, of course, the consilience, which is that multiple lines of evidence across multiple disciplines seem to point to the same deep time conclusion. And then there's the theological consideration. Okay, now, I, I admitted to, to my friend, I said, I, I have difficulty with this one. I really don't know how well I could argue for an old age view on this, because I, as a young age creationist, theologically, this is really where I take the biggest issue. I, I think that deep time, the concept of deep time, and especially as it relates to evolutionary processes being involved in that, would undermine the goodness and character of God. So in this case, theologically, I think I'll be forced to appeal to something like his ways are higher than mine. Maybe God has a morally sufficient reason that I am, as of now, unable to see for creating a world with death as a feature, right? Because I, I, I do need you to understand that, okay? No, no matter what side of this issue you're on right now, I need you to understand that on the conventional hypothesis of any kind, deep time, evolution, no evolution, whatever, on the conventional hypothesis of any time, of any kind, Death is created in this world as a feature. It's not a bug, okay, to use software programming language. It's not a bug. It's a feature, okay? And this is what, I, I promise, I've gone through these conversations. I've, I've heard them. This is what old age creationists will argue. No, death actually has use, okay? There is a usefulness for death in the animal world, in, as far as even going to the microscopic level as well, there's the whole, we might appeal to the circle of life, right? Um, there is a food chain, right? People, like, like other animals have to eat, et cetera. And so they, what they will argue is that death was introduced as a feature. It's not a bug. Now, that seems really difficult to me as a young age creationist, not the least of which because the Bible in Romans talks about death being a bug. Death entered into the world as a result of Adam's sin, okay? 
That's a very important point. Okay, I know that's talking about human death. Romans 8 covers some of the animal death and things of that nature. Genesis is pretty clear that humans and animals alike were vegetarians in the very beginning. Okay, this is all things, these are things that are stated by the text. So I, I have a difficulty with this, but I nevertheless, I, I think I could appeal to God having a morally sufficient reason for creating death as a feature that I do not see. And I would have to look at reinterpreting some of those future, you know, those New Testament passages especially. That, that deal with this. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how death is the last enemy that will be destroyed and defeated by Christ. Now, so did God have a reason to allow billions of years of animal pain and suffering before humans entered the scene? Now, I'll go a little further here. I think that this view at least has a chance if you embrace evolution. Okay, here's what I mean. It, you could appeal to that process as being that which gave rise to human life. Okay, so if God's ultimate creation, so to speak, is a, is a human being made in his image and his ultimate redemption plan is to redeem that human being made in his image. And he used the evolutionary process, i.e. death as a feature, to produce the very humans that he would be redeeming then I think it's at least a possibility that you could appeal to. It doesn't sound too great to me, and I don't think it's very plausible, but I do think it's at least possible. Now, if you want to believe in deep time, but then reject evolution like most uh, straight-up old-age creationists do, now that to me seems very hard theologically, because what would God have— what? What purpose could he have possibly had for these events of creation that they talk about? They posit these over time, that there are these creative e events that even the fossil record can show us and things like that, but that they have no end goal of evolutionarily producing humans, again, because there was God's intervention here. God didn't need death to create humans, and it doesn't look like God chose death to create humans, at least not to me. But at least if you take the evolutionary um, path you could make that argument that this death as a feature, so to speak, would give rise to human life, whom God made in his image. Of course, if you believe in evolution, now you've got problems with the whole concept of image bearing. What does it mean? It's really interesting, the theological web that gets tangled and weaved. But I think I'm not saying somebody else couldn't come along and make a better case than me. Of course they could. Of course they could. My answer to this question is my answer, okay? If I were trying to biblically, scientifically, and theologically make a case for old age creationism, that's the one I would lay out. God's ways are higher than mine. I don't know what it would be, but he must have had a morally sufficient reason for creating a world with death as a feature. Scientifically, radiometric dating methods have proved fine, so to speak. And then consilience is a piece of evidence all on its own that seems to point to things being being just fine from an old age creationist perspective. And then biblically, I think the age of the earth doesn't matter in this view because you could say the Bible just teaches no age for the earth and there are reasons that we could appeal to for that. So that is my a version of the best case for old age creationism. Undoubtedly, there are people who listen to this who are old age creationists, uh, creationists who would probably disagree. And maybe shoot me an email, steve at steveshram.com, which that actually reminds me, I, actually, I had some difficulty with my email recently. So if you're listening to this and you email me, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm trying to get back to you. I woke up one day and, and was like, I'm I haven't gotten any emails recently. And it turns out I have 300 that I missed because I changed email providers a while back. And Etc. 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 Okay. So I apologize. I'm getting to you. Send me an email if you think that you could make a better case for old age creationism than this, biblically speaking. And, and I think if we maybe I even have you on onto the show, maybe and when we talk about it, and I maybe I push back a little, maybe I don't. Maybe it's more so just letting you share your view. I want to give a fair 
shake to all of the available views that are out there. But again, I've done a lot of reading on this. I've done a lot of interaction on this. And that's the positions and the views that I would take if I were going to make this argument. And that was the question that was asked of me. So there you go. There is my answer. God bless you guys. Love y'all. I appreciate you being listeners to the Bible Nerd Podcast, whether you agree or disagree on this issue. I thank you just for hanging out and coming along for the ride. It's such a blessing, such a privilege, and I enjoy every minute of it. So thank you very much. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Take care.